Hello. Good. Thank you. That's wonderful when you all go quiet. It's quite a miracle, actually, that 150 people will suddenly go quiet because somebody stands behind a lectern. Shall we pray? Father God, it's, it's a joy to be in your presence. It's wonderful to sing your praise, to sing worship to you, to speak out our worship to you. It's wonderful to be enveloped by the warmth of your love, the experience in our hearts that you're our Father, that you love us, that Jesus has died for us, that the Holy Spirit is with us. Just come, Holy Spirit, we pray now. We thank you that you are here, but Holy Spirit, just, just, we just say, come and glorify Jesus. Come and help our thoughts and our vision to be on him and his greatness. Holy Spirit, bring the word of the Lord into our hearts this morning. We're not here for fun. We're here before the one who is the lion and the lamb. We're in his presence to hear what he wants to say to us this morning. We may be challenged, we may be encouraged. We may have to repent. We may, we don't know, Lord, what you're going to say to us, but Lord, we thank you that what you say to us, you say in love. That whatever our situation this morning, your love surrounds us and we thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Just while we're worshipping, I just had this incredible sense that God was saying to us, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whether you've been here, coming here for years, or whether this is your first time to come into this building this morning, I'm not going to let you go. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, I don't know about God, I'm not sure, I just came because I thought I ought to. God saying, I'm not going to let you go. I'll never let you go. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Shall we read Galatians? And um, you'll be very pleased to hear it's chapter two this week. But um, perhaps, you, perhaps you are still enjoying chapter one. We could get more out of chapter one, but we're moving on to chapter two and it's verse one. And it's the Apostle Paul speaking. And um, no slides yet, David. We'll just uh, come to them in a minute. Then after 14 years, Paul says, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. And I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
Do you, do you remember those, or not so long ago for some of you, but for some of us, it's a long time ago. Do you remember those far away school sports days? Do you remember those races, the relays? We used to do egg and spoon, sack race, three-legged race. Just, um, just put your hands up if you can remember coming first in a race on sports day. <laughs> right, that's good, that's good. Not, not very many, not very many winners of races. Well, we'll come to that in a minute. So actually, I guess a lot of you were too modest to put your hands up. <laughs> but thank you for those who were brave enough to. We, we don't think you're boasting. Um, I'll just tell you about my sports days, if you bear with me for a minute. I was, uh, I was, never, um, I was never a great runner. I was a, and as you know, I, can't, I couldn't run at all now. But um, I was never a great runner. And then something seemed to happen in my last two years of school. I seemed to find some extra legs and an extra spurt. And um, I never won any races, but... Um, I was the runner-up in, in three races in my last two terms at school. I came second in the cross-country, I came second in the 880, 880 yards in those days, and I came second in the mile. And each time I was beaten by a boy called Rory Hogg. He was one of those, don't laugh because he might, you never know, I don't know where he is, but he might listen to this if he goes on the website. I, he was one of those boys who was good at all sport. We, we called him Commander Energy. That sounds terribly dated now, doesn't it? But he always beat me. Um, but there was always, there was a good thing. It didn't really matter because we were both in the same house. So he got the points for being first and I got the points for being second. But you see, there was always that little thing in me that I really wish I could beat Rory Hogg one day. But I knew that, that nothing short of Rory Hogg falling over and breaking his ankle was going to get me first. But in the Christian race we're going to look at this morning, it doesn't matter about coming first because it's not a race of competition. We're running together. And the main thing is to finish the race, not to be first, because I don't think the scripture says that there is a first place. So, just looking at in Galatians here, just to give you a, a very brief overview, we're, we're studying Galatians because Paul wrote a letter to them, to the church at, in Galatia, saying that they'd, they'd got it wrong. He, he does it very gently, although he does get quite angry at times. He gets not angry with the people in Galatia, he got angry with the people who were deceiving them because they had been deceived and they were told that just believing in the cross and what Jesus has done for you there, that is not enough. You have to keep the old Jewish laws. You have to be circumcised. And that made Paul very angry. And this book was a book in which he told them about grace and that Jesus has done it all and we don't have to do any more. And um, he, he, he refers back to the time 
when he went up to Jerusalem, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 15. He, he, um, he was in Antioch, and he went up to, to, to Jerusalem with Barnabas um, and Titus, and he had a private meeting with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem because it sounds as though Paul was, wanted to be sure he was doing the right thing. He wanted to be sure that he'd got it right. He wanted to be sure that you didn't have to keep the old law. I think he really knew, but he had to check it out with somebody. And so he uses this expression that I wanted to be sure, in verse 2, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had been running my race in vain. Now, I'm not going to refer to the next bit. I'm going to leave the, the bit about the spies and the false brothers for Andrew to preach on next week. So he's got a good subject, spies and false brothers next week. So it's interesting. I've found in the New Testament, I've found five times where Paul refers to running a race. Now, we, we don't know that he was an athlete particularly, um, but he takes a picture of a race for the Christian walk. And if you include Hebrews, which we're not sure if Paul wrote, there's actually six references to running a race. So he, he refers to this in um, Galatians 5, 7, that's slide number two, I think, David. Um, Galatians 5, verse 7. He says, Paul says to the Galatians again, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And so this is a challenge to us this morning. God does challenge us. Um, you know, we, we preach a lot about grace, but grace has responsibility with it. We, we, we don't just say, well, Jesus has died and he's cancelled, he's forgiven all my sins and if I sin again, he'll forgive me. Yeah, that's, dead. that's absolutely true and that's great. But having, it, it, having experienced such wonderful grace and love, we should automatically want to respond to that. There's a responsibility. The man who wrote uh, Amazing Grace, John Newton, he, um, he did more than many men to share the gospel for the rest of his life, he had a responsibility that because of the salvation he had enjoyed. So these Galatians, had, had somebody had stopped them running the race and kept you from obeying the truth. And the truth, God's truth, the truth of the scriptures is, is so important. And in every generation, the truth has been under, God's truth has been under attack. And in our day, um, it's probably the sovereignty of God. Um, people suddenly stop believing that, that God can do anything and God is in total control and think that, you know, God, God, well, God is God, but there's certain things he can't do. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign and is over all things. Also, people give up on the truth. They give up on the authority of Scripture. They say, well, we have to look at this in the light of the culture in which we live. And um, um, so 
We also undermine the value of the Old Testament. These are little things that can creep in. But our next scripture tells us a little bit more about the race. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Now, if you were um, thinking that you had to have good legs and good feet for this race, actually, it doesn't matter. There's a part of your body that, you re that really needs to be good for this Christian race, and that is your heart. Because it's not a competitive race. It's not a, a race that um, we have to um, we have to do lots of uh, running and training for. It's a race where God um, touch, touches our hearts. It's a race that we race because God has done something inside us that makes us want to run the race and to get to the end and to serve him. Because you know, we have an enemy that is trying to stop us running the race. Did you not know that? I mean, that's, that's, that's uh, every day. You've probably proved that you have an enemy, Satan, who wants to stop you running the race like happened to the Galatians. And we need to be aware of that. Now, you can't, he does that, but you can't blame him entirely can't blame him at all really because God has given you and I the ability to overcome him through prayer so the race is a race from our hearts we have to have good hearts that love Jesus that want to follow him and then if we go on our next reference is 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 to 27 You see, Paul used this picture of the race because the Corinth in Corinth they held the Ithmian Games, which was like Olympic Games, and they used to wear these laurel crowns if they won a race. And they would have understood about running. Greek culture takes athletics very seriously. You've heard about the Greek Olympic Games. And uh, Paul says they, they do not do it to get a crown that will last, but we do it to get a crown that lasts forever. Um, that, that is amazing that um, we are going to get a crown that can never be taken away, that will last forever. Now, when I thought about this, I thought, well, yeah, it'd be quite nice having a crown, but I'm not that bothered. What, what is more exciting to me is the person who's going to give me the crown. I am looking forward to meeting the person who is going to give me the crown. Another reference in Acts 20 and verse 24. I'm... Um, I'm, I'm putting these up because um, it's good to look at them. I'm not doing it because I think you don't need to bring Bibles to church. I think it's um, 
great to bring Bibles to church, but, uh, and great to read it from the written page, great to meditate on these things afterwards. He has given me the task of testifying the gospel of God's grace, and Paul wanted to finish the race. So, what exactly does this mean? Do you feel that, that you're in a race? Do you feel that it takes effort to live your Christian life? It takes uh, discipline to lead your Christian, to live a Christian life. It takes courage to deal with certain situations. It takes courage to know that you can face down an enemy who wants to destroy you. I'd just like to read you a, a quotation from a, a Bible um, commentator called um, Phil Moore. And he says that, um, referring back to 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Paul ends the chapter with an illustration. Fillmore says, I have never met a Christian who doesn't deep down desire to lead many to salvation. I don't know a single genuine believer who doesn't like the thought of rescue swimming for Jesus. Excitement, high adventure, and hundreds of souls receiving Christ as their saviour. It all sounds fantastic. But he finishes by saying, the contagion of the kingdom doesn't spread by well-meaning pipe dreams and fantasies. Paul calls us to action. Now, as I've been preparing this word, um, it's spoken to me. And uh, actually, if it's not speaking to any of you, um, well, that's all right, because it has spoken to me. And that's good when the preacher gets spoken to, because um, it makes me say, Lord, am I really, am I really running the race? Or am I, am I sitting back and uh, you know in your heart what running the race is for you you know the things that God may have spoken into your life spoken to you about and maybe you've not done anything about it I know what that's like because God spoke to me about things and I thought well I don't know if I can do that I don't know if I'm up for that I'll, I'll sit on that and then in his grace he speaks again and uh, there was blessing in responding to God's word and what he wants us to do. Also, running the race helps us not to sin. If we're busy, if we're busy running, if we're busy in activity for God, um, there isn't so much time to sin. But let me stress, this is not a race that you have to be up the front, that you have to show how well you're doing, that you have to rush around, that you have to... You have to do everything in the church that you can possibly do. It's not that kind of race because some of us have done that and we've done it out of, out of um, a legal obligation. We haven't done it from our hearts. This morning, again, God is after your heart and my heart. 
Um, I really mean that, and God means that this morning. God, God doesn't play games with us. He loves us, and he wants the best for us. And the best that God can have us is, is running this race um, that ends in his presence. And God will equip you for the race ahead. So, we'll just jump to, to the Hebrews um, reference. Um, David, thank you. Thank you for doing a good job up there. And Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I'll come back to, you can leave that up there please David, I'll come back to it in a minute. Um, so let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. My message to you this morning, be harsh on sin. Whether you think, whether it's a big sin, sin or whether you think it's just a little sin, be harsh on sin in your life. Deal with it, confess it, say sorry, ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness. You know, I hope this isn't coming across as heavy because God is not heavy. God encourages us to run the race because he knows What's good for us? You say, well, I couldn't run the kind of race that Paul ran. All that shipwrecking and beating and stoning. No, no, well, maybe you're not called to that. Maybe, maybe some of us might be one day. We don't know, but whatever. God will only call you for what he can enable you to do. And God this morning is saying, I want to bless you. I want you to step out. You might, be, you might have given up one ministry and you're sort of thinking, well, um, what am I going to do now? Shall I take it easy? Um, what shall I do? But God says this morning, come to me and I've got something that I want you to do for me. I want you to keep running this race. We need to be inspired. Inspiration is a great thing. You get inspired by great speakers, great sportsmen, Remember, I mean, I, I'm not into sport too much. The sport I follow most is rugby. And after England won the World Cup back in, well, it's won it once or twice, but there was one time when Johnny Wilkinson, he was the man, wasn't he? Went to school around here, Farnham boy. And, uh, you know, all the mums were saying to their children, eat up your greens if you want to be like Johnny Wilkinson. And um, there were rugby clubs springing up everywhere for little boys because Johnny R Wilkinson inspired people to play rugby. And this morning, God wants to inspire you to run this wonderful race that he's in charge of, that he's given you the strength for, that he's leading you in, this wonderful race that ends in his presence with a thank you, with a crown, with a blessing, and in his presence in heaven forever. So, I think this is a wonderful point to come to communion. And I'd just like you to, all of us, just to be quiet in God's presence. 
Remember, God sees into our hearts. He's, he's actually looking into our heart, into your heart now. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're trying to deal with. He knows what you're trying to cover up. But don't, don't be afraid. God loves you so much that he wants to bless you. He wants to help you to lay aside those weights that we read about, the sin that so easily entangles us. He wants to help us to lay aside. He's a father who's got the best for us. He's a father who ha will help us through the crisis that we're in at the moment. You might say, well, I, I've messed things up so much, I, I've had enough. No, God says, you can never mess anything up too much for me. Jesus did dealt with all that at the cross. So as we come to communion, there's only one place to fix your eyes, and it's on Jesus. Jesus who loves you. And it's Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus set the greatest example for serving that's ever been set, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I, I just put it into, it's almost like he, he laughed at the shame, he scorned the shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and that's where he is now. And then the writer to the Hebrews says, what's he say, what do you say after all that? Amazing, isn't it? Jesus endured the cross. And he says, consider him. Just think about him, who he is. And who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God knew that we would grow weary. He knew that at times we would lose heart. But he says, look at my son. And you know, Jesus has run this race, but I have this wonderful impression that he, he runs this race with us. He's there beside us. That's the kind of person that Jesus is. So as we come to communion, we have to examine our hearts. So it says in Matthew that if you're, if you're coming to the altar, or we say if you're coming to communion, Matthew 5, verse 23, and, and you remember that you're not right with your brother and sister, you've said something or they've said something and you're not getting on, it says leave your gift at the altar if you're coming with your worship, leave it there. Go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. That's a challenge this morning because, you see, taking communion is not, it's not an outward, it's a form of remembrance, but it's not, it's not an outward thing. We do it with our hearts. And, you know, we can come up there in our, in our, in our I going to say our nice clothes or our, however we are, we can, we can come up and we can... We can take communion and we look all right on the outside. But this morning, God is looking into our hearts. Now, that's not, that's not a threat or a challenge. That's because God is real. God, God is real. He's truthful and he's honest with us because he knows that's the best way. And he's saying this morning, is your heart right? You know, if your heart isn't right, it's, it's better not to take communion. 
them to take it. If you read in, um, in Corinthians, it's in 1 Corinthians 11, it, it shows what can happen if you take communion with a heart that is wrong. And you know, we're all human, aren't we? we? We all fail, we all get it wrong. And we just need to be honest with God this morning and honest with one another because that is the way to blessing. So if there's somebody maybe you haven't forgiven, try and put that right before you take communion. I can't tell you what to do. You're answerable to God. Communion is not just remembering the past, but it's a call to commitment for the future. We just don't go up there and say, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, thank you for this loaf, your body, and the, the uh, juice, your, your blood. We go up there and we look at it and we say, Lord Jesus, you, you gave this for me. What, what am I giving for you? That's what it is. Um, what am I giving you, Lord Jesus? What am I prepared to commit myself to you fully? It, it's, it's sort of tough sort of stuff, isn't it? And yet, God loves us and God helps us. And uh, um, it's not really heavy because God is here and he loves us. God who reconciles us to himself, wants us to be reconciled to him and to each other. Lord Jesus, as we just come to take communion in a few minutes, Lord, we just open our hearts before you. Lord, we're, um, we're, yeah, we are, we're, we're all sinners. We have all been sinners. We still sin, and yet we're saved by your wonderful grace. And Lord, how wonderful as we, as we, as we come forward and take communion this morning that we can look at that table and say, I receive the grace and the love of God that makes me a new person, that helps me to overcome those things in my life that I'm struggling with because I've made a decision that I'm going to go forward and trust God for the future. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, could we have the worship band back for a song and then, um, and then I'll come back and lead us into communion.